Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 18th edition of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2021. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and I'm joined this evening by semi-regular member of the podcast, Kip Tastic. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I think we're all just a bit sad after so much promise. I think when we when we get the chance to reflect back on the season, I think we're going to have a lot of real positive things to say, but yeah, still pretty down after yesterday. Yeah, well, we will certainly reflect on the season tonight as well as discussed yesterday, but we are introducing for the first time this year. He, he has done one of these, but it was on a very old edition. I think maybe back in 2015. It's the man who's got the voice of Scott Lucas, and, and I think Kip <laughs> described it as a very fine whiskey, just oh, the smoothest voice geez. you'll ever hear. And that is Bipolar Bear. How are you? Oh, you might. You're trying to get me back on the podcast, aren't you, with all this, this flattery? I'm good. Thanks, lads. I'm pretty sad about last night, but, you know, I was one of the lucky ones that actually got to go along, so I can't complain too much. So, so before we do dive into it, um, bipolar, I, I will just ask, what was the atmosphere like yesterday at the actual ground? Because on the TV, it certainly sounded like it was a very pro Essendon crowd. Yeah, look, um, I mean, even the the doggies fans that I knew that were there sort of said it felt like there was about five hundred doggy fans and about nine thousand five hundred Essendon fans. But it was a it was a strange atmosphere because you know previously I, I went to the um, the Hawthorne game up there. And I felt as though that was a much louder crowd. It was sort of, it, there was there was a nervousness all night that you, that you could sort of sense that wasn't there in that Hawthorne game. So, but yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, an, an interesting atmosphere to say the least. I don't know how it came across on TV as far as like how loud everyone was, but it, it, it sort of escalated throughout the night every time there was a, a bad referee decision. And as we know, there are a few of those. So, yeah. So, so we will jump straight in and before we talk, about how we actually played. Let's, let's let's discuss the elephant in the room, Kip. And we'll, I'll start with you, mate, because I know you're you're chomping at the bit to have a crack here. Umpiring yesterday, I, I think Waitman's. I think I think one of his free kicks was there. I think the other three would be he'd be generous in saying were iffy. Look, I I made the point of rewatching the highlights of his goals on um, AFL website before coming on here. I want to make sure. I wanted to make. Oh, it was very difficult. I think you know I'm owed a lot of um, a lot of money for doing that, but um, I wanted to make sure that I had a, a recent thought about it, and make sure I wasn't just reacting to the you know the red mist of the game. And if you, if you want to go through, I'm going to go through them because the first one he did the old Joel Selwood lifted the arm high, high tackle gets a goal. Second one he runs into Draper's arm. He ran into Draper's arm. Draper didn't swing and hit him. Gets a free kick. Third one, the Gleason one. You know what? That is probably a free kick, if you don't count the fact that that happens all sorts of contests everywhere in the forward line at both ends. And it wasn't paid for down at our end. And the fourth one, you know, the reaction of Zach Merritt said it all. No idea what that was for. It was in play. The bump was in play. You know, there's nothing um, untoward to it. And I think, you know, the, the automatic reaction is to be really annoyed at Waitman for, you know, particularly for the first one, just just the action, but just the complete inconsistency of the umpiring just drives me nuts. There were so many times when we would drive the ball forward and you'd see Peter Wright and Alex Keith is ripping his arm off him as he's trying to go for the ball and there's nothing. And it's just that blatant inconsistency that drives you nuts, especially at moments where it changes the momentum of the game. Yeah, no. So so I will just raise a couple of points with you before we switch to you, to you by Paul. But um, that, that third one against Gleeson, I, I think the problem was, and, and I know you, you're right with the inconsistency, 
But the big difference between that and a right is Cody went to ground. He felt the contact and literally just fell backwards because he went, oh, well, I don't need to stand up here. If I fall back, the umpire's going to ping him. And, and, and that, to me, is just disgraceful football because a, a forward should be trying to stand up and using their strength to take the mark. But he felt the slightest touch and went down. And, and, and to me, that was just horrendous. The one against Merritt, it actually, I don't think it was paid against Merritt, which makes it even worse because Gleason does have two hands outstretched pushing him, but it, he, he barely touches him. I mean, as you said, Merritt's the one that made the contact and, and pushed it and hit him in the side. But I think the umpire seen the two hands from Gleason and somehow thought that's what's put him to ground, which oh, I don't know how you see that and think that's that, the laws of physics dictate that can't have possibly happened. And, and Luke Hodge on the boundary, I mean, you know, Luke Hodge, none of, none of us are his biggest fans. He's, he's a Hawthorne captain and, you know, we all despised him when he played. But still, you have to admit that, he's, that he knows what he's talking about. And he's one of the most respected um, commentators going around at the moment. He was be- bewildered. And, and he even said that on the telecast that he said to, to Merritt, mate, I don't know what that was for. No idea. Like, it's just it's unbelievable. And, and at such crucial times as well. I think, you know, when the, when the commentators are starting to talk about it and bring it up and you know they can't, you know, come out and say it's, you know, blatant incorrect umpiring or... Um, you know, that Waitman's, you know, a cheat, you know that it's it's an issue that, that they're aware of. And if they're making those sort of comments, then you know there's some sort of issue. And I think the thing the thing with Waitman, you know, he's obviously got a lot of talent. Um, I think we'd love him if he was playing for our side. But you do get a reputation as a player for that sort of stuff. And then you start to lose, you start to lose the fair free kicks. You look at what happened with Lindsay Thomas, you know, so he, he would play up for free kicks. And then um, because of that reputation, he wouldn't get the ones that he would deserve. And you see it, you also see it with Toby Green, although he's got bigger problems um, this weekend. Um, you see play, players like that, when they get that reputation, they're going to start losing the ability to get the free kicks they actually deserve. So he may be doing himself a disservice in the long term by acting that way. Yeah, and I, and I would just like to jump in there just before we switch to you, Bipolar. I know you, you're keen to say your bit too, mate, but when people say we love him on our team, we love him for his ability, but I'd I still have memories of when Joe Danaher was at the club and was throwing himself forward, looking for free kicks. That, that we were infuriated that he just would not stand up because Danaher was starting to get to a stage where he was literally missing easy marks as he was just hunting for that free kick, and it drove us insane. So, so I get that we'd love him, but I still would like to think that maybe as a supporter base, based on what happened with Danaher we'd also be incredibly frustrated by Waitman's playing, which which the Dogs fans, just for some unknown reason, refuse to acknowledge. that They're all adamant that those free kicks were there. And nobody who's ever watched the game in the past, you know, 120 years that it's been, that, that the league's existed, could ever think that all four of those free kicks were there and deserved yesterday. Yeah, look, I I think that sort of stuff. It's a, it's a blight on the game. I've I've hated I hated it in every sport. Like it sort of it drove me away from watching soccer. And I think I like what you said before about Lindsay Thomas and and Joe Danaher, just because you know they were the prime examples of times where games games were just frustrating to watch as a supporter, like neutral or not, you know. And I think that look the the one that really. Uh, disappointed me yesterday was the merit one. I was on the absolute opposite side of the ground, and I think that was the fourth one that happened. Yep. From memory, I haven't actually watched the the replay since for for some unknown reason. <laughs> um, but that one was particularly bad because the thing that I noticed was it, it knocked the wind out of the crowd. That was where everyone just sort of went, oh, you know, this is 
you know, that's that's four goals in a row that we that they've gotten from uh, not not in a row, but from you know from from a free kick, and in these conditions, four goals that it's sort of given to you, you know, you you can't come back from it, and and so the crowd sort of went from being elevated to deflated. So that was the sad thing for me, and the one that I was right uh, right above was the Draper one, and that one there from the from the sort of angle that we saw it, it just didn't look like anything happened at all. He just sort of flicked him on the cheek or something like that, and. And yeah, over he went, felt the contact, and and off he went. So, I don't. I, I really just hope that they crack down. I remember yonks ago with uh, Leroy Jetta. I think he did a really bad dive, and they cracked down on it. They they sort of they were like, nah, free kick. Um, and and for a little while there, um, I, I feel like that sort of set the standard. But it's sort of been forgotten since then. You know, dives are creeping back into the game. Well, Leroy Jetta is still the only person who sees suspended for um for staging. It's all just fines now. And I think he, with the, he, he didn't get suspended. He he only got a fine. You sure? I'm sure he got suspended. Oh, no, no. There's this. We can look it up. I'll, we'll look it up. But but I'm positive he only got a fine because there was a bit of talk on our board not long ago that Leroy Jetta was the only person to get fined. And then when that was not being proven true, it then became he's the only person to get suspended. And I, and I still don't think that's oh, true. I thought it was I, a free kick. I actually thought they said free kick staging. I don't know. That's, I could. Be oh, wrong. here we go. That um, might have been it. <laughs> oh no. So he okay. So. He was charged with staging, and he also had another offence in the same game that he yeah, got suspended for. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just looking uh, it up. Right. There we go. Yeah. But anyway, look. To be honest, lads, we'll move on from the umpiring because because we could talk about this for all night. I mean, we yeah. there's there's plenty of decisions. Positive things to talk about. With yeah. And, and I, I think we've had a end, ripper. We've had a, yeah. We've had a ripper season. I think at the end of the day, we're all in agreement that it was, it was just horrendous decision making at a time that. When the game was on the line, it just it just killed us. Um, and, and I, I, you know, at the end of the day, the Bulldogs ran away in that last quarter, and that was disappointing in itself. Well, um, I think on on that, just before we do move off the game, I think obviously well, there is an issue for us. We saw obviously with the Brisbane game, we got blown off the park. Um, it's happened again here. Um, but when the game was dry, we really did have the opportunity to really really put our stamp on the game. But with you know a few a few fumbles and a few a few misses. Misses of, of goals that should have been kicks. And Francis had a couple of snaps that probably should have been kicks. Snelling had a snap. Sheil in the goal square um, dropped a very easy mark. We should have been, you know, three or four goals up at half time um, with, you know, competent skills and competent umpiring. Um, yeah. And that changes the game. So even if the Waitman stuff does happen in the third quarter, you know, they're, they're only getting the parity. And that changes, it changes the mentality of the players. I mean, you could see at the end, the end of the, um, in the fourth quarter, once that um, stringer goal, once Durham got in the way of that stringer goal, the, the momentum just went out of the players and, you know, you got, the Bulldogs got a few cheapies. And I, I don't think yeah. 49, 49 points is anywhere near a reflection of where the teams are at. We really took it up to them in that first first half before it got wet. And we just, unfortunately, don't have the, the skills or the nous um, or the bodies to really compete against a side like the dogs in the wet. So, which makes them deserved winners, but yeah, a few issues, particularly the skills. And I think, yeah, Shield was probably the epitome of that in that first quarter. Yeah, for sure. That one that he sort of toe poked and you could see that he was just trying to get it around the corner and it sort of just skipped over the line and they called it intentional. My God, that was, that was an insanely frustrating one. But look, I think there were a lot of positives from the game last night as well. Like Merritt, oh my Lord, he was like, he, I couldn't believe how hard he was running. Like, and it wasn't, Usually he sort of, you know, he's a, a bit of a, a you know, a, he sort of jogs a lot and then, you know, sprints occasionally. But 
in this game, like on, on the ground watching it, he would he'd just be like sprinting the entire game. It was it was insane. He was just on fire. I think he got nine or ten tackles and he just he he was the one guy that I thought, man, this guy really, really wants to win. And Parrish was obviously on fire in the first half as well. So sixteen never, sixteen possessions in the second quarter, I think. So I've never seen Merritt as angry as I have in that last but he wanted to hurt someone. Like he was oh, serious, was he was seriously angry. He was really getting stuck into them. Obviously the game was gone by then, but no, you know, Merritt and Par- Par- as you said, Parrish, Draper had a really strong effort. Uh, that ruck dominance um, could have been useful in the dry, obviously. In the wet, his um, influence re- reduced. I thought Ridley played really well. I know Norton kicked a couple of cheapies at the end, but, you know, he's Norton's meant to be one of the best contested marks in the game, and Ridley matches him um, yeah. quite quite comfortably. He's beating him one-on-one. Um, and that's the only so string. It's the only thing that Norton has in his game as well. Like, it's the, it's the only only thing he has so the moment you take that out that's that's it really and really does that so well yeah exactly i think um yeah look there are a lot of positives to take one thing i will say though is is for me it did feel a little bit like we went in too top heavy i mean it was always going to rain and i think that maybe maybe we just went in a little bit too top heavy and maybe we did and i'm not sure if it's a lesson to be learned but but i mean laverde you know stringer laverde sorry stewart and and ridley they're not, it's not a massive back loan, but once Hind went down, we didn't really replace him as such down there. Yeah. Um, we brought Gleeson in, but he's another one of those medium sort of blokes that plays a little bit taller. We sort of lost that run. You know, we didn't bring Tipper Woody in f- for whatever reason, and, and, I, and I'm not sure what that is, which, you know, again, so we didn't have that run. It, it just seemed we went in with a, with a lot slower side than we have at all this year. We we had other options we could have brought in maybe to bring up a bit of pace. And then once the weather hit and, and the ball hit the deck, well, we were caught lacking. So so I think we might have missed a trick at the selection table this time around. Well, it is interesting because the Dogs did bring in Gardner for Johannesson, obviously for Cordy, but they also played Shacky. They went tall as well. Like It wasn't like necessarily that we were over tall. I don't think I don't think the the height necessarily made that much of a difference. I think it was the, just that body size, you know, McRae, Liver, Bonts, Bailey Smith, you know, for a young guy, he's he's tough as nails. I just think they had too many strong bodies for us in the contest, particularly when it's wet. We can't get our handball game going. I think that was probably the biggest difference from that third quarter onwards. Another thing is I don't feel like we adapted our game plan that much from the first quarter when it was drier. It yeah, seemed no, like we, we were trying to do the same thing, overhandballing it, you know, trying to get that kick into space. But obviously in the wet, you know, it's 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 easier to sort of close the distance, I think. Um, and, and also, like, you could see that the doggies tried to play a real one-on-one sort of style in the second half. And, and it's just like we didn't do anything to adapt to it. So it was, a, yeah, I think tactically we sort of, you know, need to do a bit of bit more work in the wet so yeah yeah ideally i probably would have liked to have seen francis go behind the ball if we were going to do something like i mean bringing gleason in i, I really think francis could have played the gleason role if that was the idea to have gleason replace hind then i really think we could have just brought francis in and probably re- released ridley a little bit more and maybe go a little bit of a, a smaller forward line uh but, yeah but i mean yeah end of the day i think that's possibly one of the only selection mistakes that I think we've made this year. So, so considering that many of us predicted to be, you know, bottom six, if not bottom four, to still play final was a sensational effort, and and something that the group should be proud of. And and I'd just like to give another shout out to a bloke who, who I still can't believe missed all Australian. Um, oh. I think I've seen I think I've seen a few arguments that that I probably I don't hate as to why he missed. Um, I know that, I know the Grizz 
would was definitely a, a very strongly opinion that, it, that he was robbed. And I was with him. And then I read a few arguments. I probably probably mellowed a little bit, but I still think he should have made. And that's Stringer. I mean, he, he only had nine kicks, but he still kicked two goals, one. And he laid eight tackles. I mean, he was still a presence yesterday. He's yeah. just his game's just gone to a different level. You know, if, if Jake Stringer six months ago had nine touches, he'd have lucky to have influenced the con the contest in my opinion, because he just, when he, when he wasn't getting that 16, 17 touches, he wasn't kicking goals, but, but now he's, he's just, he's that much more damaging per possession. It's just ridiculous. Well, I don't think he laid eight tackles at the dogs. Like <laughs> the whole time he was there, you know, he wasn't that sort of player. And now, now you sort of know you're going to get your four tackles from him and, you know, he's going to go hard every, every contest and, you can see how much his cardio has improved as well. Like it's out of sight, you know, comparatively. Um, he's sort of almost like that Dane Swan sort of player now com compared to what he used to be. So, yeah, he's had a huge season. I completely agree. He was a bit unlucky, I think. I think he had a bigger season than, than Papley. I know people sort of say, well, Papley's a small forward, you know, Stringer's a, a medium forward. But I sort of think that, you know, when you've had, was it 38 goals from from 18 games compared to, 41 goals from from all all the games um and i think he I, I think stringer had so many more assists as well i just think that yeah he's he had a bigger season they just couldn't include three dons because we're not sort of premiership contenders well i always thought we were going to get two of the three but i my assumption was it was going to be stringer and one of merit or parish depending on which way yeah. they went i think no one has played that sort of role the goal kicking midfielder as well as he has and goal kicking midfielders are you know fairy dust Okay, they, they 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 very rarely exist. Like the best, look at the best midfielders in the game. They're not kicking as many goals as Jake. And yes, he didn't play um, full time midfield for the first half of the year. But what he produced in that second half of the year is the best football anyone was playing. He should have been yeah. in that. He should have been in that top, in that side. And it's really good to hear, like just, just the way he speaks. The fact that he's getting really clear messaging from the club about what their expectations of him are. He came back. Like this is not the first time he's come back. He's been in this shape. He came back at the start of last year in really good nick. Probably not, not quite as good, but you could see that the penny had dropped and then he got injured and then the hub life um, being away from his family. And I think he just had a kid. Um, you can understand why, you know, he didn't have as strong a second half of the last year. We know that Tippers, we know a lot of players struggle with it, you know, so, you know, look out competition. Like if he plays, if, the, if he gets a second half of the year, all year next year, he's going to win the Brownlow. You yeah. put your house on it. So, so lads, we will move away from yesterday's game because it was disappointing. And I think the, the main talking point is the umpiring, which, as I said before, we, we, we could do it to death how infuriating it was for all of us. And I think maybe now we'll start looking back on the season and probably just look at the individual players as we go. And we'll see how many we get through. And we'll, we'll try and get through as many as we can. And we'll kick off with McGrath now. McGrath, I'm surprised he played 15, 15 games. Um that that seems more than than I certainly remember him playing. He, look, I love Andy. I don't know about you, Kip, but I I, I love Andy, and I think he's going to be a midfielder. I, I know that a lot of people now are saying maybe his best position is, is in the back line, and <laughs> and he does he does panic and do those dump kicks, which is incredibly infuriating at times. But his ability to generate space in such close confines to me is something that you can't waste in the back line. I mean, how, how did you see his season, Kip? I feel like he had a bit of a, a steady year. It was sort of sort of leveling off. I think the last couple of years he's been building into that midfield role, taking on more and more responsibility. And I think it's with the rise of Parish and obviously Merritt playing really well, um, there probably wasn't the space for Andy to really really flourish at the start of the year. He definitely he was always playing his role. He's always 
trying really hard. He, he does really well as that, you know, that third mid, playing a bit of that defensive blocking role, you know, sacrificing a bit of his game so others can others can do well. And I think, you know, if we have, you know, a merit in the parish and a stringer performing the way they are, we don't need McGrath to be, you know, the superstar midfielder that he probably is capable of. He, he, he probably can sacrifice his role for the team to allow players like Parrish and Merritt and, and Stringer to, to really, really shine. You can't have, you know, you can't have six Ferraris running out of the midfield. You have to have a few, you know, Datsun 120 wires to really, you know, do some do some solid grunt work. Um, he's, a, he's a 180B, let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> fair enough. Um, you know, he, 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 I think he has the capability to be a superstar, but I don't think the, I don't think the club needs him to be a superstar at the moment. I think the club needs him to be a support player for, for the superstars. And I think he's, he's one of those players whose first um, idea is to do things for the team. And I think he will do that. Um, but if you, heaven forbid that we have a situation where, you know, a parish or a merit go down, I think he's more than capable of step, stepping into those roles. Um, if he's given the opportunity. Yeah. Look, I'm, I think I'm one of the ones that sort of goes on about uh, that we should have him in the back line. Um, now, my thoughts on that are, are purely um, were, were mostly about this year because at the start of the year he was having like he was he was really good. Like he had a couple of thirty possession games. You could tell that he was a midfielder and that it was clicking. However, sort of when he came back from his injury, you got the sense I got the sense that his you know his cardio sort of wasn't at that same level, and he is an incredible shutdown small defender. I really feel as though if we had him on Waitman yesterday, um, and that was what I was hoping we were doing uh, with the with the news of Hine coming out, I, I seriously don't think he would have had that sort of impact on the game. He's just, I don't think he would have gotten near the ball. Like he's he's that good of a shutdown defender. Next year, I want him as a midfielder, obviously. But, you know, if he's ever injured again, throw him in the back line while he sort of recovers his cardio. That's my thoughts anyway. I actually agree with you, uh bipolar bear that that i think mcgrath could be an elite lockdown defender i, I just don't think we need him there and i i think it's a waste of his talents but mate well the next bloke we'll talk about is obviously number is our big big sammy draper now i loved how he played this year i thought he he grew into his role i, I think he's be, i thought he's one of his better games and one of his most underrated games was was probably his game against grundy towards um the last round i, I thought he broke even with Grundy and look I know Collingwood had nothing to play for but Grundy's still a superstar and, and to me that was a massive game and he's obviously dominated contests and been more prolific I suppose in other games but but how did you see him this year? That's that's probably you know he's, we have to remember he's 20 games in um, he's still learning a lot you know his kicking is um, reminds me of me um, as a as a third player um, you know he's got a bit more distance but there's the still sort of the um, He drops the ball from his eyebrows we can all say that <laughs> Yes, yes, that, that's what I used to do. Um, yeah, I think he's, he's obviously learning, but I mean, he's just so exciting and he's obviously already got a connection with the mids. Um, and I think you sort of, you brought up with the Grundy thing, the thing that he hasn't been able to do at this stage is go with the elite Ruckman. Um, the fact that he was able to go with Grundy um, suggests that, you know, another year to a development, um, no one's going to be able to stop him. Obviously, the, the next bloke we're going to discuss now is is the number three, Darcy Parrish. And I won't say much because there has a, there's a lot that, has been said about him on this podcast already. He just went to another level this year. Or it was he got all Australian honours? It was a level that I'd, I'd hoped he had, but I, I certainly didn't expect him to get to this year. And it was just crazy how good he got once he got the opportunity to be a full time mid and not you know seventy percent mid, thirty percent half forward, or, or whatever the ratio was. 
Adversity creates opportunity, huh? Look, I think on the forums, a lot of us have been calling for this for a long time. I think, you know, just in general, Essen supporters have been saying, what, you know, what the hell, you know, worse for Fold, throw him, in, throw him in there, like, just see what he can do. And pretty much as soon as he did it, he, you know, as soon as he got the opportunity, he just came out and started dominating. Anytime there was a game where there was a medal on the line, he wanted to get that medal. So, and he was he was just as good yesterday. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how many possessions. I assume it was about thirty five. But he, yeah, like you can tell, you can tell he's got that big game player part to him that we sort of we've needed for so long. Um, you know that come you know come with me, grab me by the scruff of the neck, and and you know off we go sort of player. Which uh, you know I'm really happy is that sort of guy. Yeah, and, and and so so keep the next one is is Kyle Langford. So seventeen games, he averaged twenty touches and almost a goal a game. I think we missed him yesterday. I think he would have been one of those big bodies that would have been helpful. Yeah, he's really he's really growing into his his football. The gap between his best and his worst is um is really close. He's not um you know leaving the ball on the boundary and running off um to let the opposition running off the field to the interchange bench to let the opposition get it anymore. Um, he's really clean. Um, we can use, we can throw him anywhere. Like he'll he'll play. He'll be a great on the wing. Um, you can throw him into the midfield, um, centre bounces, or you can play him forward. Um, that versatility is really important. And yeah, you know, he's just he's just someone you trust um, to do the right thing. Like he's he's one of the best set shots for goal, and some of his delivery inside forward fifty is really good. I I agree. I think we did miss him. Dev Smith um, played twenty games this year. He's certainly been a frustrating one for mine at times. You know, his undisciplined acts drive me insane, but he still does play that odd game or two where you go. Geez, he's, he's a good player when he knuckles down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you say, he's sort of – he's an insanely frustrating player. But that game he played against Collingwood, you sort of go, oh, hold on a minute. Has he still got something, you know? Can he can he be that sort of a player one every, once every, you know, two to three games? If, if, he can, if he can sort of, you know, close that chasm between his worst and best games and and just just chill out with the discipline stuff, you know, I think I genuinely think he's still got a role to play in the team. But yeah, I think that he just needs to sort of work on that, on that sort of work on his head, really. That's that's the main thing. Joe Caldwell this year didn't didn't get many opportunities. Um he obviously played yesterday and I thought for the first quarter he was he was really, really good. But then you know, fell away because lack of conditioning. But there's plenty to work with, I think, for the future based on the, the few glimpses we did see this year. Yeah, uh, look, I, obviously the question is these hamstrings, um, you know, the history of hamstrings. Hopefully um, they can get onto the specialist, look at look at maybe his running patterns or um, potentially some different work, um, different strengthening um, exercises to, to prevent that. Because if, if he gets a clear run at it, um, he's going to be a very valuable addition and we suddenly are going to bat really deep in our midfield. So the next one we talk about, is obviously, uh, is Zach Merritt. I mean, again, same as Parrish. There's not much more we can say that hasn't been said in this podcast already. He was huge this year. Yeah, if he could maybe become a bit more of a goal-kicking mid, that would be ideal. But his ball use and everything was just sensational here. And he's probably the captain in waiting. I mean, is, is there much more we can say to sing this bloke's praises? Uh, he's, I think he's just as complete as they come. I think... You know, whenever I sit there and think of the best kicks in the competition, uh, him and Daniel Rich are the ones that come up, you know, straight away from my mind. You know, he's just got, like, he can kick those lasers that hit people in the chest from, you know, 35 metres out. You know, he, he's got those those amazingly weighted kicks. He's got he's got the ones where he sort of, you know, kicks a banana to a bloke that's 15 metres away, but he's going to kick over three guys. Like, he just, he can do anything with his foot. It's incredible. He really sets the play up for our team. 
I think it, when when Darcy was having, you know, it was Darcy was exploding and everyone was looking at him. If you if you were watching Merritt, like he was having just as good a year. I just think because we have such a higher expectation of what Zach can produce, we weren't as um as as quick to quick to realize. But his year, I mean, that's that's probably a career year for him as well. Um, you know, and I think you know the fact that he was able to, he committed to the club so early gives us a lot of confidence that um someone someone of his quality thinks that we're going places. And I think that's a really good sign for the future. So we move from Merritt to Marty, and I don't have a great deal to say. He played six games. He's a depth player. I think when he came in, he was solid enough. I don't think he's a standout. Unfortunately, I think the ankle injury a few years ago probably robbed him of of what was going to be a a pretty good career. I think we all sort of thought he'd become the player that Ridley has become, but there's not much more you could say about depth players. So so we'll we'll jump across straight across to, to Dylan Shield who, again, suffered injuries this year, only played eight games, has been hammered pretty harshly on the board based on yesterday. I think Doss said it the best, though. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He he had a poor game yesterday, but he's still trying to find his feet, and he's not used to being third banana. And and let's be honest, he's third banana now, so he's he's going to have to find his way in that role, and I don't think he's quite found it just yet. He's probably had, like, the start, start of last last year, he was one of the best players in the game. He He was brown low form, and then he had that... Um, suspension for the bump, and he wasn't the same since then. And then, obviously, he came back. thought he started okay in the Hawthorne game, picked a couple of goals, and I thought he actually was having um, a bit of a, a bit of a role change moving forward already, even before the Parish explosion. Um, and then the injuries just obviously cost him. I mean, he hasn't come back with any fluency or anything. And I think, yeah, you know, I think people are forgetting what he can do because it's, it's probably been a couple of years now since he's done it. But I think if he gets a good run at it and he can work on his place in the in the side, as he says, as a third banana, um, you know, we shouldn't be quick to say, oh, let's just dump him and get a draft pick and, and move on. I think, you know, you, you've got to, you, as you can see with the Melbournes and the Bulldogs, you've got to have great, great midfield depth. And we can't throw Shield away um, and expect to get anything near his value or anywhere near as good a player to fill the role that he he can fulfill. He sort of does something that, you know, only really Stringer can do in the team, and that is sort of break tackles and just sort of, you know, run through the lines. And I think that's a really important thing. Um, I mean, his kicking is his kicking. It's always going to be sort of average or below average. But, you know, I I, I think the things that you get from him are the, you know, that that extraction and, and the explosion, really. So, I don't know. I, I rate him as a player, and I think he, he definitely belongs in our midfield despite some of the comments that I've read about him lately. Yeah, and I think, Kip, when you're talking about the, the trade value, his trade value is nowhere near what he's worth to the club. And some people are saying, oh, we've got midfield depth now. And, and then they listed him in their midfield depth. I mean, if you're going to say we don't need the bloke who's got <laughs> midfield depth, don't list the bloke in the midfield depth. That, that's my only advice. But Aaron Francis is, is, is the next one, and he played 15 games. Look, I don't know about you boys. I, th- I think Francis forward is a failure. I, don't, I think it's just a complete waste of time. I'm... I might be being a little bit harsh here, and I'm not sure if there is a spot for him in the back line if Laverde, Stewart, and Ridley are down there. But I'd like to see Francis probably playing on the tall and have Ridley a bit more loose. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, he only kicked two goals for the year. It's not a great return, and he did play a few games there. Um, I might be doing my future um, ability to be invited back to any podcast. No favours here, but I completely disagree with you. Um, I definitely see a future for him as a forward. You see the way that he attacks the ball. Um, when it, in some of the game, some of the games, obviously, he didn't have huge impacts, but you can see the way he attacks the ball, the way he leads up, and is an option um, up on the wings. Um, and with his delivery in a forward fifty, with his kick when he when it, when he's coming off, 
Um, I think we definitely have a weapon there, and I think you can accommodate him um, in the hooker role that we had with with both Wright and Jones. Um, I definitely wouldn't be, um, you know, calling it a failure just yet. I think definitely think there's something to work with there. It kind of reminds me of that period of time with Francis at the moment where, do you remember with Hurley, the way we had him up forward for a little while and he, he sort of won that game for against Hawthorne for us off his boot? He's, he's sort of... He's at that stage where he could go one way or the other, forward or back, and you know, and and he has that sort of hurly level aggression as well. I don't know. I'm I'm really fifty fifty on it. I sort of do see the potential as a forward, um, and, and I and I see it as a backman as well. But he's just got, it's it's the way he reads the flight, uh, you know, in the back line. I think is is rare. I think that's that's sort of where he belongs based on that. And you know, I think once again, he he's, if he gets a really clean run at it, I think you you'll see a Laverde like season from him. So we'll move from a bloke that we're a little bit in a disagreement about to a bloke. I, I think we're all going to be in consensus here in Zaharakis. He's been a good servant. I don't see a spot for him moving forward, and I'll be surprised if he gets offered a contract. I don't think it's been announced he's retired, but the age—I think it was the agent reported that he wasn't getting a farewell game, which which may have been news to him that he wasn't actually going around again. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him hang up the boots. Great servant, um, much maligned. I think he's he's definitely been better than a lot of people suggested. Um, but yeah, I think it's just his time. Um, if there's other options, he when when he's been he's been fit. You know, it's not like he's been injured and not playing because of that. He's been fit enough to play, um, but hasn't been selected. I think that's when you get to his age, um, that's a pretty good sign that it might be time up. He's also, you know, he's, he's also part of one of the biggest moments in, in, in essence history with that, with that goal on the wet against on Anzac day. So, I mean, that, that alone is, you know, and the fact that he's played 200 games, I think is, you know, he's a great servant of the club. So from a bloke that we all in agreement will probably not go around again to a bloke, that I think many people thought would be um, D-list fodder at the end of this year, and that's Tom Cutler. And I think he was exceptional in, in the back half of the year with the, with his role, and it's amazing. But but I mean, I think if Francis goes back, I don't think there's room for Cutler. I think he gets moved out. But if Francis is going to stay forward, then I think Cutler's important moving forward, and, and he did his job very very well this year, and would, would have been stiff to have been dropped for the final. I think he'll go around again for sure. I think he, you know. He... The thing, the great thing about him is you can play him wing, you can play him half forward flank, and you can play him in the back pocket. Like you need that sort of depth if you're going to win a premiership. Well, I think just just on that, I mean, I think half back seems to be his position. We've tried him on the wing um, with no success. I think having half back, you've probably got a bit more um, a clearer role as opposed to the wing. I think wing, you know, you've got to be very um, agile in thought, and knowing where and where and when to go. Um, whereas the half back, you know, it's, it's straight lines that's in front of you. I think that really um, place to his strengths and yeah look I had him on like when I was doing my you know list list management um selections earlier in the year he was a definite gone um but now he's a definite keep um just a question of whether it's one year or two years so Nick Nick Cox is is the um is a player that, that I think we're all very excited to see in future I, I don't I don't see any world in which he doesn't become a superstar or, or at the very least becomes an enigma that the club supporter base gets behind he was good at times this year he did find his, his way out of the side towards the end of the year for various reasons i think unfortunately for him it was just a week that he got that they decided to give him a rest that we actually sort of picked up our form again so then then couldn't force his way back in because he spent most of the time sitting as the sub probably should have got time i think yesterday um even if it was just a a cheap 10 minutes in the last quarter just give him a taste of formless footy but still very exciting prospect Oh look, the sky's the limit. Um, the only thing, the only thing will be is that they hopefully they don't stuff him around with his position too much. Give him a year or two in a position, whether that's the wing, whether that's half forward, um, in the back line. 
give him a chance to settle and work work on his game. And I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, he wasn't performing towards the end of end of the season. You know, he's, he's come off a year of no football um, and he's, a, he's an 18, 19-year-old kid. Um, I think we've got more than we can ever, uh, more than we could have asked for from Nick Cox um, this year. And I'm just so excited to see where it goes from here. Let's just not do the Essendon thing and just make sure we keep him in a position. Don't, you know, sort of jumble him around for 55 games. Just, you know, put him where you think he's going to be good and just keep him there and let him learn. So, lads, we've done oh, about a quarter of the list. There is a lot more to get through, but but we'll save it for, for future podcasts because, um, yeah, we don't want this one to run too long. Now, we are going to take a break, just as a heads up. Uh, we are going to take a couple of weeks break from podcasts. We'll probably – we're going to hit one up for the uh, the trade period where we'll go through some more players in a season review then. Um, but before we go, lads, I think is it it's easy to say, and you can tell me if you're wrong, but I think consensus amongst the fan base, and it's probably going to be amongst us three, is the top three and the best and fairest will be Stringer, Parrish and Merritt. Mm-hmm. Either of you disagree with that? No, I, I think, think that's pretty clear cut. Maybe Ridley, maybe... Well, see, so my next point. So I think Ridley will probably finish fourth. Laverde. Well, so, well, I actually so my, think Laverde is a shot. I, well, that's, see, my I next question is going to be, yeah. My, my question was going to be who, who comes fifth and sixth because I, I I sort of have the top three and then and then Ridley as the clear next option. So 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 who then comes fifth and sixth? Now Laverde's one. Draper. Is James Stewart a chance? Well, see the way our the way our um the way our best and fairest works, you you benefit if, if you play more games because you. Everyone gets votes every game, depending on how the coaches rate you. So even like, because Stringer missed, you know, three or four games, he might not even be necessarily top three or four just from that reason. Like he's going to get high votes um, in a lot of his games, but he might miss so enough games that he actually isn't top three. Now they actually think about it. And then players like a Laverde or a Ridley, who you know, maybe didn't perform at quite the heights of Stringer, but performed year on, didn't miss a game. And I think, Obviously, we didn't get to Laverty, but how amazing is it that he played every game, um, every game of the season when you know he could he get injured, you know, turning a corner. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the prop. So maybe Stringer might not be a top three in that sense, and we we're looking at like a Ridley or Laverty who did play um, all the games to be in that top three or four. Nick Hind, I think, is top five. I he's someone that I sort of didn't really think of, but I, I just think he is like. For three quarters of the season, I thought he was going to be all Australian. Um, yeah, I think he's had a huge year. I, I genuinely believe he'll be top five, possibly over Ridley. Yeah, that's a good point, and and uh, I certainly hope that his Coles eight dollar chook was was worth the uh, worth missing oh. the game yesterday. Look, and, and just on Nick Hind, I know there's a lot of angst and a lot of anger, and and, and I do understand the frustration that AFL player, and, and I know for a fact that the AFL told clubs to tell their players get everything delivered and if you can't get it delivered by conventional means then the club has to organize somebody to deliver it for you basically there was it, it was drilled into them and unfortunately for nick he, he's not the only one that's done it there's definitely been other instances this year where players have obviously gone to the supermarket but unfortunately yeah he, he just he he was the, the one that got caught out and i don't think he cost us the game or anything silly like that I, I read that a bit on social media a few blokes suggesting but not on our board just just in other social media um, areas that that maybe hind would have made the difference uh, that, that's a bit laughable. I mean, yeah. it would have been helpful, but he certainly didn't cost us anything. And all, all I think it'll do is just drive him next next year. So what you're saying is stop blaming Tasmanians for that whole thing, right? Seeing as everyone said it was to do with our border, our border security. 
<laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, the health of the the health of the state takes precedence over football, and that's if that's right. what Tasmania is doing to keep themselves safe, and a full credit to Tassie, they've managed to more or less keep the virus out, then you can't really complain about it, can you? And, no, that's and, right. Uh, and with uh, our shallow uh, gene pool down here, we can't let this virus in. Let's be honest. <laughs> and and we, we went to Tassie because, um, you know, we didn't want to do the South Australian quarantine. But anyway, let's we'll, we'll call it an evening there. I'd like to thank you both coming on, Kip, once again, and also um, to you, Bipolar, the sexiest man on the board. Um, it's hey. been great listening to your voice this evening. <laughs> Pleasure. You'll have it again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Beery's I appreciate the smooth tones as as to oppose the the normal rabble he gets, which is um a shot at everybody else who does the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lev. Cheers. Thanks, Bonsa. Thanks, guys.